Hello and welcome to episode number 255 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and this is a podcast that is all about romance fiction, the women who read and write it, and do many other awesome things. Today, we have an episode that is all about all of those awesome things. Elise and I interview Super Karen, who is a librarian, knitter, romance reader, and the co-host of the Knit One Geek Two podcast. We talk about childhood fandoms, the fandoms we love currently, like geek culture, knitting, and romance. We discuss gatekeeping, internal snobbery, and the welcoming joy of finding people who love what you love and are eager to talk with you about it. We also talk about Rhinebeck, and there's some mild geeking out about knitting, knitting things that are geeky, and also geeky knitting. Plus, we learn what Rhinebeck sweaters and cosplay have in common. And we have a bonus embarrassing story from Elise's trip to a comic book when she was young. I should warn you that there is some mention of baby vomit and poo and a special appearance from Zeb who barks at the UPS delivery truck. All of the books and television shows and movies and things that we discuss are in the podcast entry at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. I will also have links to many of, I'm very sorry in advance for all of the knitters listening, all of the places where you can buy yarn, they mention a lot and they all have cute names and all the yarn is cute with names and adorable colors. And I'm really sorry in advance, knitters, this is going to be a dangerous podcast for you. And speaking of the opposite of dangerous, well, no, actually, this is also kind of dangerous, but the good kind, both of these are the good kind. If you are going to be in Orlando, Florida on Sunday, July 29th, Romance Writers of America is going to be hosting their annual Readers for Life Literacy Autographing. Why is this potentially dangerous? Because there's going to be hundreds of romance authors in one place and all of the proceeds go to literacy organizations. And some of your favorite authors will be there. Currently listed as signing Alyssa Cole, Tessa Dare, Courtney Villan, Julie James, Cecilia Tan, Beverly Jenkins, Jill Chalvis. And for the first time, I will also be signing. Yay! I'm so excited. So the signing is at the Walt Disney World Dolphin Resort in Pacific Hall, Saturday, July 29, from 3 to 5 p.m. And if you come find me, I'm in the W's because my last name is Wendell and I like air conditioning. Come mention the podcast and introduce yourself. I have stickers for you if you would like to have one. You can get all of the details at rwa.org slash literacy. That's rwa.org slash literacy. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and how you can acquire all of this fine, funky tunage for your very own self. And we also have an iTunes page. Zeb wants you to know about the iTunes page in particular. Yes, it's true. iTunes.com slash DBSA. You can find recent episodes and the books that we talk about and also links to all of those ebooks in the iBookstore. It's super cool. And one last thing before we get started... We are ridiculous close to hitting the Patreon goal to start commissioning transcripts for older episodes, and I am so excited about that. Thank you so much. If you have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches, you can make a monthly pledge of $1 a month, and it makes a massive helpful difference in, like I said, transcript, transcribing, 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 transcribing. Yes, that, exactly that. Transcribing all of the older episodes in our archives, some of which go back to 2009 and transcriptions are important. Moreover, if you're supporting the show by leaving a review, telling a friend, or subscribing to the show on whatever you use to listen to podcasts, you are most excellent. Thank you so much for hanging out with me each week to talk about random awesome things all centered around romance. And now, without any further delay, on with the podcast. So 
Elise really wanted to talk with you about all the things you like, including romance, books, <laughs> geek culture, knitting. Like she, she has so many questions she wants to ask you. And I have a couple too. So okay. the first thing I want to ask though, is if you would please introduce yourself. This is the only awkward part. Introduce yourself and um, talk about who you are and what you do. Okay. I'm Karen, um, also known as Super Karen. And awesome. <laughs> that is my official podcast nickname. I am, well, I'm now the acquisitions technician at my library system. Um, I've been Ooh, working in libraries for quite a while. That's powerful. Yeah, so I control the books. Well, technically, I, I'm the one who places the orders. I'm not the one who decides what to order. <laughs> yeah, for a public library system in the Niagara region of Ontario. And I'm also a knitter, spinner, beginning weaver, and uh, also podcaster. <laughs> I co-host the Knit One Geek Two podcast, which is basically knitting, geeky stuff, and anything else we feel like talking about because it's our podcast, and we get to that say what we sort cover. of the best. That is the best part of having a podcast, right? Yeah, it's basically like you know anything else we feel like talking about. We're just going to talk about, and people can deal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's how I roll. <laughs> I always figure, all right, I'm super interested in this one person, and I really want to talk to them. Probably no one else is interested. And then those are the episodes where I have comments. Oh, my gosh, this was so neat. I've been thinking about this. And this is great. I'm like, oh, I'm not alone. You're never alone on the internet ever. Oh, no, that's one of the best things about the internet. You can always find people that are interested in whatever you are interested in. It is so true. And you're also a romance reader, right? Oh, yes. I have been romance reader for quite a few years now. I think almost like 10 years now. And also a smart bitches trashy books reader for about the same length of time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I am one of these, these these sneaky readers that like doesn't comment much. That's most of the readers. <laughs> I am. I always tell people who are starting out with blogging: do not ever judge the efficacy and the reach of your site by the number of comments, because most people read and do not comment. I mean, I read and don't comment on places, so you know, oh, yeah. I complain. Yes, Sarah has to lie to me about the number of podcast listeners we have. It's five, by the way, and we're just <laughs> we're we're staying that with means five. six. Counting yes, you, now, Karen, now, we're, now we're up to six. I mean, we know who they are. It's not a big audience. Otherwise, Elise would never come on the show again. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> so um, I actually found your podcast through Sarah, which was super cool. I was sitting on the floor of the Atlanta International Airport, uh, charging my phone and dry swallowing Xanax because I have terrible, terrible flight anxiety. And Sarah Ooh. messaged me. It is like, oh, I found this podcast. You should check it out. So I downloaded it. And listen to it on my flight home in kind of like a Xanax-induced haze while... <laughs> so I will say that you and Maggie are very, very soothing uh, to listen to <laughs> when you're having panic, panic attacks and like periodically just randomly grabbing the guy's arm next to you every time we hit turbulence. So <laughs> I just have to own up to when I fly like, I'm going to be in your space and I apologize, sir. But, well, I'm glad we were able to help. The part of me is like, I wonder if this is the best way to listen to us or the worst way to listen to us hopped up on Xanax. You know, like a little of column A, a little of column B. Why not? Right. <laughs> uh, but no, the podcast really, really uh, resonated with me because you guys are into things that I'm into, which is like a lot of geek culture, obviously knitting and fiber arts. You're a reader, you're a romance reader. And, you know, we're talking about how on the Internet you're never alone. Well, these are all things that I was uh, into back in my analog childhood pre-Internet days. 
Mm-hmm. And it was very lonely, right? Because it was not a cool thing. And now with the internet, you have places like Ravelry, like Smart Bitches, where you find your people and you realize that it is a cool thing, that lots and lots of people are actually into this thing that previously I thought was really nerdy and I should be embarrassed by. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I wasn't really into a lot of the things I'm into now, actually, um, when I was a kid. But I was definitely one of those kids. I definitely love to read way more than anyone else in my class slash school. Um, and really into certain things like I was a huge Titanic buff when I was 12, well before the movie came out. <laughs> Add that so both as explanation and as defense. But how um, did you, so how did you get into Titanic before the movie? Were you just like? I actually, well, because I liked reading so much and because I was a super big nerd, um, I spent a fair amount of time in our school library. Um, and I was just looking around the library and saw a book. It was actually the book by, um, Dr. Robert Ballard, who was the head of the um, expedition that found the wreck of the Titanic. Um, And it was about, had something about the history and about the exploration finding it. And I just saw it and thought like, oh, that looks interesting. Yoink, pulled it off the shelf. And like, from there on, I was a huge Titanic nerd. But of course, like nobody else that I knew was into this. So it was a big thing when we finally got the internet in 1998. Um, finding other people who were interested in the same things that I was. And I wasn't just that one weird kid. Oh, totally. I was super into um, Star Wars growing up. So I probably watched the movies when I was in, I would say, like, late elementary school. And then I started watching Star Trek on TV. And that was, like, my huge, uh, dark embarrassing middle school secret <laughs> that I was like a Trekkie and I haven't, I haven't gotten back into it. I think I kind of fell away from it when like Buffy the Vampire Slayer came out mm-hmm. um, because that ate up all of my squee. But yeah, <laughs> like th- there was, there was no fanfic forums. There was no one to talk to about it. You had to like, oh, yeah. you had to put it on the DL. Yeah. And like, I realized much later after I had gotten on the internet and found places where people were writing fanfic that like, even when I was, I started like writing stories and stuff when I was pretty young. And like, even when I was like eight or nine, I would like write little stories about like whatever the characters were in my favorite TV shows or whatever like that. I didn't know that fanfic was a thing at that time. And it was only much later when I got on the internet. It's like, oh, there are other people that do this. And there are places where you can read all this stuff. Excuse me while I deep dive into like the old school X-Files um, fan fiction archives. Oh my god, all of the hotels that they stayed in that mysteriously just had one room with one bed <laughs> left. There were no there were no other hotel rooms, just this one. Yep, just uh, the one. Big conference in town. We only have one and half the time it's the honeymoon suite. Yes, exactly. Now I remember um being did you ever watch uh Lois and Clark when it was on? I didn't, but I know friends of mine definitely were huge Lois and Clark fans. They just jumped right on it, and like the second episode was like, "Oh, well, you guys got to stay undercover in the honeymoon suite." Like there were <laughs> fanfic writers in that room. So, so yeah, the internet has definitely changed. Um, well, it changed things for me, and I think it's part of the reason that geek culture is way more accepted now because you you are part of a community, and it makes it seem more cool, I guess, or at least more more socially acceptable. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely, 
feel more open to admitting that you enjoy certain things when you know there are many more people that actually do enjoy the same thing, even in real life when most of the people you know on are on the internet. Because you start, start to get that feeling like, oh, maybe there are more people in my real life that are actually into this. Or at right. the very least, you have that sort of backup of like, I am not the only person that enjoys this. I can't admit that I enjoy these things and can sort of take ownership of that. And so one of the things that I wanted to talk about on this podcast is even though there's generally more acceptance of these things, when you look at, um, well, I guess they'd be like my three big interests, which would be knitting, reading romance and geek culture. These are things that when oriented towards women, women still totally have to justify their interest in. Right. Mm -hmm. So like knitting is associated with grandmas. Um, we've, I, we could write a thesis on the whole romance novel thing, and we probably have on the website. <laughs> and then you have this whole idea of not being like a true nerd. So it went from don't be a nerd at all to now as a woman, you're a fake nerd. You don't have nerd credentials because, oh yeah, you, you know, you can't go see Wonder Woman and be like, oh, I really love that movie without some idiot being like, Oh yeah, well have you been reading the comments since the day you were born and you did you have her lunchbox in nineteen sixty two and also and it's like Jesus Christ, I just said I like the movie, okay? Yeah, and also that assumption that like you haven't been doing that. Because I've seen a number of women, um, especially with the Wonder Woman movies and with the um the Marvel movies, where like dudes have been well, have you been reading like all of them since the beginning of time? Or you know, have you read this issue? Have you read this issue? And there are women who actually, yes, have been reading the comics since they were children. But there is that sort of assumption that because they are female, that they haven't been, that they're just getting into it because of the movies. Not that getting into it into that. Not that getting into it because of the movies is a problem. Because I got into comics and into the Marvel movies because of the movies. So I have to share my comic book story with you guys. Back when I was a geeky teenager and there wasn't, like, the internet, we had one comic book store in town, and that was also where, like, all the tabletop gaming and stuff happened. And I would have them hold comic books for me. At the time, I was super into, like, all the Top Cow comics, like Witchblade and The Darkness and stuff like that. And because I didn't drive my mom would take me to the comic book store to pick up my comics. So she's like wandering around the comic book store while I'm paying for my comics, like super awkward and uncomfortable. The only woman in there. And my mom wanders into the back and just like, Elise, did you know there are pornographic comics? Look at this. This says, this says only over 18. Oh, look at this. And I was just like, Oh my God, I wanted to die. So to put in perspective, my mom was like super sex positive and she was a nurse and like nothing was off the table and my <laughs> friends were mortified by her all the time. So she's like flipping through adult bondage comics in the back of the store laughing and all of the guys in there look like they want to, like they don't know what to do. They all want the floor to swallow them up and just take them now. Oh my God, this is the best. <laughs> I still have bags and bags of my old comic books in the basement that I can't bring myself to get rid of. And they're all in pretty crappy shape, too. So it's not like um, it's not like they have any any real value anymore. But um, but yeah, no, I, I was into all those super geeky things and felt very isolated. Mm -hmm. Well, especially because sometimes in communities and, and it especially boggles my mind in the geek community, there is that sort of gatekeeping aspect. Like you have to have 
seen certain things or read certain things or done certain things or have to have been involved in a certain amount of time for you to be a real fan. But the thing is, like, most of the people who are in that community at some point have felt out of place because of their enjoyment of this thing. And they're really just perpetuating that with new people. And it's like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want new people to come in and to be able to like show all these new people, the amazing things that are part of whatever you're interested in. Like, have you read this comic? Have you read these comics? Oh, I've read a couple. Oh my God, you need to read this (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. shove the comics in their hands and have that more fun, positive experience of like sharing things with people rather than being like, well, then you're not a true fan. And it also shows, it also shows insecurity versus confidence. Mm -hmm. You would think like my experience with romance and with other forms of crafting, I don't knit, but I do cross stitch. The welcome that I receive in those communities is, oh, there's more. There's another person. You are welcome. Come in here. What do you like? I like that too. Here are recommendations. And it's all a sort of collaborative group confidence and welcoming. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you get that gatekeeping response, it's all insecurity. Well, your experience is not as much as mine. So I'm still the authority and you can't come in because I said so. And it's just perpetuating of insecurity instead of confidence and welcome. I don't know why, but there, I think a lot of times is this idea that if women enjoy something or make it part of their culture, it has to be taken away from someone else's, right? Like there's only, it's the only, there's only so much pie argument, right? Where it's, it's not pie. We can all enjoy it and we're not going to run out at any point. Yeah. And it's one thing that I've noticed, um, like reading smart bitches and seeing at least what I've seen of the romance community is the romance community does seem to be a little bit more inviting and more inclusive of like various things. I've noticed that like, if you look at uh, comments about other genres that are made by people who say really enjoy mystery or really enjoy sci-fi or fantasy, a lot of people, some people in those communities will still be like, but at least it's not romance. Like romance is the bottom of the barrel. Um, Whereas in the romance community, there are many more people who are more open to the other, to other genres who enjoy like either romance and sci-fi or just enjoy, you know, will also enjoy science fiction or mystery or things. So that it's, it's like they, they actually learned from their experience as a romance Mm -hmm. novel reader. It, it, It is interesting because when you have things like geek culture, crafting culture, especially crafting around uh, that's centered around women, things like romance, which are not only read by and produced by, but about women and center on women's emotional and sexual experiences. All of those things are, as you put it, well, that's the very lowest of the low because they're all gendered and coded as female. Yeah. And there is sometimes when certain things I'm thinking specifically of knitting here, like half the time when people are writing articles about knitting for the well, some of the knitting community, some some parts of the knitting community call them the muggles, um, the non-knitting people, the people who don't understand it. Um, for the average person, we'll say. Um, they will mention almost defensively, like, oh, but, you know, in the Middle Ages, 
you know, the people that ran all the knitting guilds were men and like, you know, and sailors used to do this on ships this and stuff. Long so ago. like, this was cool. <laughs> yeah. But also saying that like, you know, well, at, at one time dudes used to do it. So therefore, Ergo. You know, yeah, therefore it has more value than you think. Um, Once upon a time, dudes knit warmers for their penises and it was legit. Yes. <laughs> and they used the right stitch so that it fit every single time. Um, I also, so, you know what? That reminds me of press coverage of the romance genre because there's often, especially around Valentine's Day, press coverage about romance because, oh, it's Valentine's Day. We got to write about those books with the kissing and the fucking in them and the, the boobs on the cover. We got to write about those. And you get one of two predominant perspectives from the border of the real, the rest of the world and the romance community. Sometimes it's the journalist or writer who says, oh my God, I just went into romance land and you will not believe how crazy those people are. Here are some quotes out of context and they all just write about boners and this is the word they use. Here's a reference mm -hmm. of Fabio. Thank you very much. And then you have the people who go into the community and come out and are like, y'all do not understand what you are missing. I am staying over <laughs> here. This is great. And I imagine that's also true for knitting coverage because you have the, oh, we have to talk about knitting because knitting is in the news. Um and you have the, the people who approach the fluency of the knitting community because it's it's a language. Like it's a very specific language and a very specific code. And you, you have people who approach that from the outside and are like, oh, this is seriously intense and kind of cool. And um, hey, I want to wear that. Can you teach me how to make it? And then you have the people who are like, yeah, it's a bunch of ladies and they're all weird. And, you know, dudes used to do it, knit for their boners. Okay, thanks. Bye. There's like a very superficial view of the knitting community, and that's the view of like, I know old ladies go to Joanne Fabrics and make baby blankets, right? That's the superficial view. And then when you get online, you realize that it's actually this community of really independent artists. You've got indie dyers and people who produce wool, um, and you've got Ravelry, you've got pattern designers. Like the knitting community on Instagram is crazy because obviously knitting is a very visual thing. Uh, so, you know, you can get really deep into it and it's, it is, it's very artistic and there are different, um, you know, different levels of, there's like a hierarchy there. There's a hierarchy for, uh, knitwear designers. There's a hierarchy for indie dyers. There's like the, the stuff that's really, really coveted and hard to come across. And it's this whole world that people don't know exist. And part of me wants everyone to come over because it's super cool. And the other part of me, I get that gatekeeper attitude, but more like, don't come crap up this really good thing we've got going on here. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in the knitting community, it's sort of like, I see it sort of in, in the middle between like romance community and geek community where like, I think in in general, like the, the knitting community does tend to be more, I think inclusive, like encouraging people to to knit and stuff like that. Though they do have their hierarchies as well. Like there is the whole yarn snob thing, right? Um, where basically, like certain types of yarn or certain um, certain vendors are seen as more worthy or more prestigious than others, um, namely like people sometimes look down on like, oh, you're knitting that with Walmart yarn and right. like acrylic. And as much as I admit, I hate acrylic. And at least when I'm buying for myself, I am a yarn snub. Um, you know, there is definitely a place in knitting for the very expensive Merino cashmere blend that feels like 
angel's pubes on your hands. <laughs> um, and there is a place, <laughs> there is a place for the acrylic as well, especially when you're like knitting for babies or for oh, pets yeah. or something where that thing needs to go in the washer every other day right. and come out looking just fine. I have there two things. This, two, uh, two quick things. One, is it just me or does stuff made of acrylic, the way that the acrylic rubs against itself, does it make your teeth hurt or is that just me? Nope, it does. It, 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 I don't know what it is, but some, somewhere deep in my teeth, when acrylic th- fibers rub against each other, it makes this squeak and my whole mouth hurts and I can't. I just cannot. Um, this, what you were saying reminded me so much of everyone who talks about dead tree books versus ebooks <laughs> and what you read on and what yep. are you doing and how dare you and do you shop at this place? I'm like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> at least what were you going to say? I was going to say there was a, a knitting book I reviewed and they had all these baby patterns made out of like super expensive, high end natural fibers. And I'm thinking like babies, oh, babies shit and pee. All the time, right? Like, right. We had reflux. We had barf everywhere. Like, I'm pretty sure it was like, you know, like hand spun camel fiber, baby leg warmers. And you're like, what the (laughs) fuck were you thinking? (laughs) One time, both my sons had reflux. One time, my older son was in the baby swing because the baby swing will keep the baby chill for like, you know, long enough to make dinner. And he managed to time his reflux vomit with the forward swing of the swing. And it, I swear <laughs> to you, it cleared 18 feet and hit me. And I was in the next room. So I am not putting anything handmade baby, handmade camel fiber. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there, there can definitely be some snobbery. And like there are even... I think kind of cults of personality that develop around certain dyers and oh, yeah. certain designers that can get to be a little bit over the top too. Um, but for the most part, it is a really welcoming community because it's a group of predominantly women who really enjoy this thing. And if you also enjoy this thing, there's always room to talk about it. Yeah. And it seems like amongst the the knitting community, there are, again, like I said, there are the hierarchies and there is sometimes some, sort of snobbery. Um, but I mean, a lot of knitters from what I've seen are also always very willing to help someone learn if they're interested in learning to knit. Um, if they aren't, it's just because, but I thought I was going to get time to knit tonight at knit night. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, there's also, there can be me sometimes be a little snobbery when it comes to like, again, teaching People, I have heard stories. I've never actually seen this, but I have heard stories from people about like people who get very offended when someone else is knitting or learning to knit in a slightly different way than that person does. Like in knitting, basically you can, you can hold the yarn in your left hand or your right hand. And there are some people that are really divided on which one they think it should be or you know, there are a few various ways of like making different stitches. And I have heard stories about people who, you know, had someone come up to them and be like, you're doing that wrong. And it's like, as long as you're making a fabric, you're not doing it wrong. Right. Thankfully, at least like I said, these are all things that I've heard. So I don't know if this is something that has changed in the knitting community over years. And it's just something that has kind of died out. But I'd like to think it is. <laughs> Well, and I think actually some of how you learn to knit and the way you knit is based on where you learned, like geographically. And so now that there is more of an internet-based community and you have people from all over the world, you know, there's some variation just based on 
where you're from. Like I learned to knit from a German woman. So I knit continental style because that was Mm. how she learned how to knit. And a lot of the people who um, I know around here who knit, they, they knit, you know, English style or throwing because that's way, way more common, um, at least in the United States. So I think, yeah, some of it's, some of it's geography based too. Yeah. I mean, there was a few years ago at the library, um, one of the March break programs I did was, uh, it was called knitting with a buddy. So basically it would be a, a child like over, you know, six or seven there with someone who was over like 16, 17, 18. So a lot of times it was like a kid and their mom. We had some kids and their dads too, though. Um, and they would sort of, I'd teach them both sort of how to knit. And often in the, the adults cases, it was more like a refresher um, because often they had learned or had someone had tried to show them when they were younger. And one of the really interesting things is that um, a few times I did it, we had people from very different uh, cultural backgrounds there, um, including people who are from like the Middle East or again, someone who learned who was uh, originally from Germany and stuff like that. And so often they'd be like, well, I learned to do it this way. And they'd show me how. And so I got to see like, okay, yeah, you do it the continental method. That's perfectly fine. Or someone who else does it, um, what's called like Eastern crossed knitting. And so I was able to see like all these different variations of like how these people did it based on where they were from. And there's, there's different variations in like how you knit based on, or especially how you knit different types of items like socks or things like that based on where you're from as well. So I think one of the really cool things about the internet is now that we have this way of seeing all these different methods of doing this and all these different techniques for making things, you can find the one that fits you best. Um, and you can also just sort of experiment with all sorts of different ones or see how various cultures do their, their specific kind of knitting. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, I'm very glad I learned to knit continental style just because it involves um, less hand and arm motion. And mm. with my fibro, I tend to have a lot of pain in my hands. So I, I have to be careful of like repetitive stress issues. But I've seen a lot of classes around here now specifically for people with arthritis in their hands, teaching them how to knit continental style just because um, you use like a small range of motion for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I was reading this book. Sorry. So part of this podcast came from the fact that I was reading this book called Knit One Girl Two. Which I just finished. (laughs) Okay, so what did you think? I really enjoyed it. I actually was sort of surprised when the end came. I thought it it felt... Like I was sort of expect, like almost expecting there to be a few more pages, but then I sort of like, no, okay, this is, you know, okay, maybe it's not like the same sort of huge dramatic arc that other book that other stories have. And as a shorter story, it works really well. I really enjoyed it, especially. Yeah. It's probably the the knitting romance novel I have enjoyed most that I have read, and I've read quite a few. I felt like it was very light on conflict, but for where mm. I was that day, I was totally fine with the worst conflict being the fact that the cat got into the pigment. And I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty stressed when the cat got into the pigment. I'm not going to lie. I was like, no, same. But there's the, the line in the book where she talks about the fact that um, knitting is devalued because it's associated with desexualized women. So grandmothers mm-hmm. and pregnant women. And I had this like, holy shit moment because, <coughs> sorry, my husband's coughing in the background. I had this holy shit moment where I was like, I've kind of been thinking that, but I haven't really ever put the pieces together. 
And I told Sarah this story about one time I was knitting in the break room at work and a male manager came in and said, oh, are you expecting? And for a minute, I was like, you have the two thoughts. One, you can't say that to me. And two, do I look pregnant? Like, where are you getting this from? And I realized he assumed that I must be knitting for a baby because why else would I be sitting in the break room knitting on my break? And it's it's so true and kind of upsetting that, you know, things that are associated with women's fertility or the lack of fertility that weights it in terms of its its value. Yeah. And I have had very similar uh, experiences, especially because I'm a plus size. So people like probably already look at me and wonder if I'm pregnant anyway. Um, nope, I'm just fat. <laughs> well, and there's that moment like that's a great question to ask me while I have something sharp in my hand. <laughs> right? Come here so I can stab you. Well, and especially I usually use circular needles too, so I can either stab you or I can use them as a garrote. Has there been a series of murder mysteries with the murders committed by knitting implements? There needs to be. Uh, I think P.D. James did actually use a knitting needle in one knitting of her needle? books. Because I'm I, thinking I could do some radical shit with a cross stitch hoop. Right? <laughs> oh, we yeah. need. We I, need oh, like, yeah. I want a crafting assassin. Like a craft assassin? Yes. Like, Somewhere someone listening to this is like, why doesn't that exist? <laughs> that would be amazing. Like double pointed needle to the, the, the jugular. We could, oh, this could be good. This could be really good. <laughs> My brain is suddenly going with all these ideas. Right. But you're going to have to use the acrylic to strangle people because natural fibers will break. Oh, but no, they are not touching. They are not touching my hand dyed Merino. <laughs> Don't you dare get blood on my Merino yarn. But the uh, part where Merino wool does not hold uh, odor and, just, and is very wicking could factor into potential evidence collection. Like you want to wear <laughs> that so you stay cool when you're running from the cops. This and means- then you can wash it in the sink and it'll dry by morning so you can wash away all the evidence. And then, you know, I mean, the blood will remain, but maybe there's a special wash you can use for that. I'm sure there is. I mean, I know Woolite does some miraculous shit. Well, it probably depend. The drying by morning part would probably depend on where you live, because I think my sweaters take like a two days to dry. Yes. But all of my um, all of my travel clothing that I wear when I'm traveling for a really long time and I don't have access to laundry, but I don't want to lug a big suitcase. All of that is merino wool. Oh, yeah. That's the like the commercial, the very thin sort of commercial. Very stuff. Thin, yeah. Yes. I'm thinking more of like my hand knit sweaters. It would be very warm. Yeah. yeah. We could we could co-write and sell this pretty easily, I'm pretty sure. The Craft <laughs> Assassin. I'm very excited now that, we, that we're doing this. Uh, <laughs> I just made an executive decision that it's happening. <laughs> well, um, I don't read a lot of mystery, so I'm going to be terrible at this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but even when we, we talk about it, like a lot of cozy mysteries are associated with crafting, right? Oh, Which yeah. I'm, I'm trying to kind of put my head around it because it's like, well, it's a cozy mystery, so there's not a lot of blood, but someone's still being murdered. So what did... I haven't unpacked that yet. Cozies usually center around a, a, a female-centered or a female-coded community. So it's either crafting, cupcakes, bookstore, by the beach, tea shop, coffee shop, mm-hmm. um, needlecraft, needlepoint. I mean, if you if you look at the names of the different cozy mystery series you'll be hungry and need to go to the yarn store. They're very suggestive. There are are at least, I can think of at least two or three different cozy mystery series specifically about knitting Mm -hmm. now. 
And I think that also kind of fits in with Quilting. that. Yeah. Fits in with that, that idea of like something that desexualized women do because also the, you know, cozy mysteries generally also don't get into like the dirtier parts of life. Oh, oh I um, was going to tell you that I just bought my first pair of Killarney sock twins from bluish brick because of your podcast specifically. Ooh, yes. You're going to have to explain what that means because all of those (laughs) words made no sense to me. So there is a Canadian yarn company called the Bluish Brick. I actually have the the website up right now. I can copy and paste the link. They they make ombre yarns, right? Where you go slowly from one color to another. But they make specific, they make like little twin sets so that you can make matching ombre socks. Yeah, you can either get it in one sort of big long skein. Mm-hmm. So that it's, say if you were doing a big project like a shawl or a scarf or something like that, or for the the sock weight yarn, the thinner yarn, you can also get it in the two skeins so that you can so that each one will match basically. Okay, that's cool. Ombre yarn is very very cool. I love ombre yarn. Yeah, it's real pretty. She was actually at a um, a fiber fe- uh, not a fiber festival, a craft festival uh, near me last weekend and. I had to try try real hard just to buy one skein because her stuff is real pretty. <laughs> I'm pretty much addicted to sock yarns and like fingering weight yarns because mm-hmm. the colors are so much fun. Have you heard of, have you had any nerd girl yarns? I have heard of them. I have not tried it. I really like their bounce and stops, bounce and stomp sock yarn. And I love that everything, all of their, their colorways are inspired by geeky things. So, like, I have Mother of Dragons, and oh, yeah. some of the fun is going onto their website, and some of the geeky references are fairly obscure. So even just trying to figure out, okay, what what is that name of that colorway a reference to? Oh, yeah. It's definitely a similar uh, thing with another one of my favorite indie dyers, uh, Indigo Dragonfly, mm-hmm. who is from the Halliburton region of Ontario. And a lot of her colorway names, her husband picks a lot of the colorway names, and a lot of them are very geeky, or even just like puns or plays on words. Um, Like one I'm thinking of right now, I got one, I think the first one of hers I got was, it was black and red and a little bit of like orangey sort of in it, and it was called Goth to a Flame. That's awesome. Like you, I am a sucker for sock weight or fingering weight yarns, especially indie dyed fingering weight yarns, I mean, which is another huge thing that the internet especially has done for, I mean, both publishing and for knitting is that it's that much easier for people to um, sort of cut out the, the middleman sort of part of it. Um, they can sell their yarns on their own website. They can dye whatever they want and sell it through Etsy or on their own website. People can publish, can write and publish whatever they want on Amazon. And so you get a lot of these smaller sort of businesses catering to these sort of smaller, like niche markets. And sometimes they become much bigger markets. Like, I mean, it was quite a few years ago that like the whole indie dyed fingering weight yarn sort of kind of exploded in the knitting community, possibly because it's, one skein of it you can make a lot of different things from. You can do gloves, hats, scarf, small shawl, that sort of thing. So you have enough to make something 
and enough where you don't necessarily need to plan what you want to make. Hence my entire stash. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It's definitely a problem here uh, in Shay Elise. But I keep telling my husband that like if the zombie apocalypse happens, I have a marketable skill here because <laughs> we're not going to have mass produced socks anymore, right? So really I am just stockpiling for the worst case scenario. Oh yeah. Plus, I mean, I live in Canada. It's, it's insulation. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's very cold in Wisconsin, too. Um, Sarah's down in the swamp, so... It's very swampy today. <laughs> yes. It's like 90 and humid. And I think it's interesting, you know, the idea that now with the internet, there can be more independent, um, independently published books and there can be more indie yarn dyers because it gives women who weren't necessarily recognized by... The, the corporate culture around the thing that they're interested in, an opportunity to really thrive. And there have been some really incredible success stories too. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are certain things in the knitting community, either certain bloggers or certain, you know, dyers or things like that, which have become, I guess you could call them like household names in mm-hmm. the knitting community. Like for anyone who is actually, you know, on the internet and sort of paying attention to the knitting community. Um, you know, like in the, uh, what was it? Oh yeah. It was neat girl, knit one girl two. Um, the heroine has that yarn club. And when she wakes up, there's all of a sudden like 300 people who have joined her yarn club. And she's immediately wondering if the yarn harlot or Franklin habit found out about her yarn club and retweeted it because especially the yarn harlot, it's very similar to that sort of Oprah effect. Right. Um, that you had like years ago where like Oprah would mention a thing and the whatever the company was that was selling it or something would just be deluged with orders and messages, you know, within 24 hours. It's very much the same with the Yarn Harlot. And that just comes from her basically starting a knitting blog like 15 years ago. And I think there's a lot of like the romance community can be very welcoming and very giving and... Um, I think the the knitting community is very similar. I noticed that too, both with, especially with romance and with knitting, but also sometimes with, with geeky stuff as well. Like I've seen a lot of people say, and even, you know, I myself started reading romance specifically, you know, because they were going through a difficult time and they found those stories, especially the ones where they are guaranteed a happy ending to be comforting and reassuring. And same thing, I've seen a lot of people say the same thing with knitting when it comes to uh, either people say who have like anxiety disorders or who, again, who are just going through a rough time, you know, they find knitting to be comforting and relaxing. Elise, you wanted to ask about Rhinebeck. <laughs> yes, I do. And I, I, I don't even know if you want to put it in the podcast because it's purely for selfish reasons. <laughs> so... Well, I mean, I was actually thinking Rhinebeck, I can actually, I often compare Rhinebeck to Comic-Con. They are very similar. And I'm sure in some ways, I was thinking there, I'm sure in some ways they are similar to uh, like RT or RWA, um, especially in the sense that like, you are finally amongst a group of your people. (laughs) These people understand me. They are all interested in the same thing that I am. So Rhinebeck is actually the, it's what, the New York State Sheep and Wool Festival officially, but it's in Rhinebeck, so it's called Rhinebeck, and it's held once a year, and I bought tickets this year. Yay! 
I bought a hotel and plane tickets that I'm very, very excited to go. And would you compare it to, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, RT being very much a, you can go by yourself because you will find your people. And this is like a very safe, welcoming space. Would you say Rhinebeck is similar to that? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> it's, I mean, the first year that I went to Rhinebeck, I actually didn't know any, at first I didn't know anyone else who was going. Um, and I had just sort of decided like, oh, hey, Rhinebeck is not actually that far. And I can take the train there. I could actually go. So I was originally, my original plans was that I would stay in a hotel room by myself. And then I just sort of mentioned on Twitter or on the, and it, I mean, it helps that I have a podcast sort of mentioned like, Hey, the only hotels I can really find are, you know, across the Hudson river from where Rhinebeck is in the town of Kingston, New York. Would mm. anyone be willing to give me a ride to the festival in return for like yarn or gas money or both? Um, and a few people were like, yeah, sure. Including like people when I was like, well, does anyone actually have like a hotel room they'd be willing to split or a house they'd be willing to split? Because I was looking at hotel costs and especially when you factor in the Canadian dollar, it was getting expensive. And that's how I met like in person and really got to know the people now that I go to Rhinebeck with who are in Brooklyn. And now are they are some of my biggest friends and part of the reason I am going this year is because I want to see them. Yep. So you can definitely go and find other people who are interested in the same things. And it's really easy to to start talking to people. I mean, they have two meetups at the festival. There's the the meetup for organized by Ravelry, the online sort of knitting website and well, knitting crochet, other fiber arts website. And so there's a huge meetup there. And like, often when people are at Rhinebeck, they knit sweaters mm -hmm. or other things to wear to Rhinebeck. So the easiest way to start up a conversation with someone is be like, "Ooh, I really like your sweater or your shawl or whatever, and then sort of get talking to them. Then there's also the podcaster meetup, which is right after the Ravelry meetup on the Saturday of the weekend. So like, if you listen to podcasts and stuff, the podcasters will be there. Other fans of the podcast will be there. Yeah, I booked. So the plan this year is hopefully to bring my mom and we're kind of because who is a knitter. We're kind of waiting on her having surgery. So we don't know if that's going to fall too close to Rhinebeck. So I did wind up booking a hotel in Kingston just because when she's there, she's probably going to be in a wheelchair. And so accessibility was a concern. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I was looking around, there's a lot of Airbnb options and people, um, on like Ravelry, they've got a Rhinebeck thread looking for roommates or housemates. So there, the lodging was surprisingly inexpensive. I thought, mm -hmm. especially if you are in a situation where you can like share with other people and the last few years, um, friends and I, we have done the Airbnb option just because it is really nice to finish a day at the fair and go back to an actual house where you can make dinner and relax in a living room. And, and that's really part of the whole experience too, for me now is, is not just the, the going to the fair and, and the hundreds of vendors. I think there's like over 200 vendors there um, and the shopping part of it, but also just the like being around other knitters and being in our house with other knitters and just relaxing. You know, a few times what we've done is we've had like, we've gone to the barn 
where they have like individual farms, which like have like cheeses and meats and like all sorts of like olives and pickles and all sorts of other little nibbly things. And we've gotten a bunch of that and gotten some like a couple baguettes and stuff and just gone back to the house and put it all out on table in the living room, fire in the fireplace and just relaxed. And it's, it's a really nice atmosphere. I want to be there right now. (laughs) Same, same. Basically, I go to Rhinebeck and the rest of the year is how much longer is it till Rhinebeck? I'm counting down the days. (laughs) Same. Until October. And I have to probably knit a Rhinebeck sweater before I go. We'll see if that actually happens. Oh, yes. It's it's not mandatory, but it does help the experience. And like I said, you know, I compare it to I have compared it to Comic-Con and the Rhinebeck sweater is kind of like cosplay. Um, It's basically the thing that you do that gives you a little bit of a challenge running up to it. Right. Um, And that also gives you um, more of a story. So like people will come up to you and and talk to you about your sweater, just like they would if you were dressed up like a certain character. And I've seen like a lot of Instagrams where people will take photos of people in their sweaters. Like, look at how cool this, this garment is that this person made. Yeah. Or you have like, you'll find a pictures of people who are all wearing this, who all made the same pattern and have found each other at one of the meetups and, and takes a picture you know, as I'm sure, like with RT as well, like it's that feeling of being around people who enjoy the same thing that you do and that understand you. Yeah, <laughs> there's that, a common there's a common language there that mm-hmm. you can share that I think makes conversation easier. Like I'm very much an introvert, so same. it's not not comfortable for me to walk up to people I don't know and just start talking to them. But at RT. I don't have that problem. I feel very relaxed in that environment. So can I ask you, Karen, if there's a romance that you're reading that you'd like to recommend? One of the ones that I have been reading recently, and I'm, I'm holding off on reading the second one in the series, uh, is the one that Elise reviewed a few weeks ago. The Aaron Nicholas series uh, that starts with, I've read Completely Yours, which is the first one in the, I can't remember the name of this series right now. The Opposites Attract series. That was it. And I am holding off on reading the second one, Forever Mine, because the third one is not out yet. And I, I really want <laughs> I really want the third one to be out. Uh, no pressure, though. Um, and basically, I, I love that it's a series about women who are geeky and who do have relationships, especially in the first one I'm thinking of, where their geekiness is part of who they are and it's not something they apologize for i mean the heroine in the first book completely yours mentions that at one point in her life she sort of tried to tone it down because she didn't think that uh or it didn't seem like her her significant other at the time really approved of it or understood it and after that relationship broke up she sort of decided like no i am gonna let my geek flag fly (laughs) i don't care I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And even when the the hero in that first book it does not understand her geekiness, you know, she never apologizes for it. That's very much the second book, too, where it's uh, in the second book, the heroine is a cosplayer and um, into, you know, geek culture and superheroes. And that is very much this is a part of my life. And you can, you know, be cool with that. But 
this is who I am. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to be embarrassed by it. Um, and in that book, his daughter is actually very much into those things as well. And mm-hmm. she helps him connect with his daughter kind of through that shared language in the geek community or the shared interest in like a certain movie um, series or TV series. Yeah. And I think she makes a really good, makes really good points in it too, about how online relationships or like, especially online friendships and communities can be as real as ones that you make in real life. You know, again, for those reasons, like we mentioned of like, all of a sudden you find people that are interested in the same things you are and you realize you are not alone. And so that, that those relationships can be as strong as ones you make in real life. And other than that, though, I've been reading maybe because of that whole like wanting to escape real life sort of thing the last few months. Um, I have started been reading a lot of like Regency romance, which I used to be more always contemporary, a little historical. And now it seems to have flipped. Um, I've just been, I've just read Meredith Duran's A Lady's Code of Misconduct. And part of that plot involves a hero with amnesia. Because I am a sucker for amnesia stories. I don't think I've read hero amnesia before. I've read heroine amnesia. I've read pregnesia, but I don't think I've read hero amnesia. <laughs> There's, it's actually fairly rare, at least as far as I know. And if anyone has recommendations, please post them. There was one by, I'm trying to think, I think it's Teresa Medeiros. And I, it was like her take on Sleeping Beauty. It was a Regency where he, I want to say he gets conked on the head and he wakes up and this woman pretends that he's her fiance so that she doesn't have to marry someone else. But I cannot remember the title of the book. I will find it and we will add it to the show notes. Ooh, I will have to read that one. Because this one is, is somewhat similar. It does involve that sort of like while you were sleeping kind of thing. Um, but part of one of the, the things I enjoyed about it is, again, I, I kind of enjoy, especially when the hero has amnesia and in, in cases where, you know, the hero before he is uh, attacked by people who are trying to stop, he's basically um, an up and coming like politician in the, the British House of Commons. And some people are trying to keep him from succeeding. Um, but before that, he is he's such a jerk. He is the worst. And then it's the sort of thing where after he has the, you know, the romance novel slash movie head injury, which right. provides amnesia, but has few other. No, no you're not going to. Right. You have a horrible <laughs> concussion, but without like the whole copious vomiting thing. Yeah. You're fine otherwise. Yeah. In this case, he basically forgets the last few years of his life. Um, he also, it's also interesting. He does have some sort of like uh, short term memory loss and stuff about like, you know, when he's walking around various like buildings, he'll forget where he is. Um, so there is a couple other uh, effects of it, but one of the main ones is that it's that sort of thing of, of the past him before he got this deep into politics and before certain things happened in his life, which made him more of an asshole basically. Um, that past him is now thrust into his modern day life and looking at who he has become and being like, who is this person? Why am I such a, why does everyone think I am such an asshole and realizing, you know, that maybe the person he has become is not who he should be. Right. So it's not just the heroine's presence that makes him decide to be a different person. It's, it's this new perspective on who he is now. It's not just the magic vagina. No. 
That's important. <laughs> it's very important. Though, of course, the magic vagina does end up helping. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, it has to play a role. I understand that. And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Elise and Karen for hanging out with me. Uh, if you're looking for all of the links to the, the yarn stores and the Ravelry group and all of the things that we talked about, head on over to smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And I'll even include a video so you can learn how to knit continental style, which actually looks kind of cool. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. This is Caravan Palace. This track is called Dramaphone, and it is, you guessed it, from their two album set, including Caravan Palace and Panic, which you can find on Amazon, iTunes, and you can find Caravan Palace on Facebook and on their website. Again, I would like to tell you to please come to the RWA signing in Orlando because it's going to be so cool. Sunday, July 29th in the Walt Disney World Dolphin Resort in Pacific Hall, Saturday, 3 to 5 p.m., July 29th. You should come because there's going to be hundreds of romance writers all in one place and they want to meet you. Yes, and all of the proceeds from the books that you buy because it's hard to avoid all go to literacy organizations. So you meet your favorite authors, you buy some favorite books, and then the money that you spend goes to benefit helping other people learn to read. How rad, right? You can get all of the details at rwa.org slash literacy. And if you come find me, I'll be in the W's, mention the podcast, say hi, introduce yourself. I have a sticker for you because I kind of love stickers. I never got over that whole sticker thing from, you know, like first and second grade. Were, you, were stickers big with you? Stickers were huge with me. Stickers, I had like a photo album that was just stickers. I don't even know where it is. I never took them off the paper to put them on things. Like, you know, what you do with a sticker. I never did that part. I started doing that when I was older. Now my car's covered with stickers. But I never lost the complete love of all things sticker. So I have them. And you can come get one. Go to rwa.org literacy for all the details on the signing and the complete list of authors who will be there. If you have had a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash smartbitches, I am deeply thankful because we are so close to hitting our goal. It is sort of ridiculous. And I'm, uh, well, chair bouncingly excited and controlling myself because if I bounce in my chair, it, it disrupts the recording. You can make a pledge of a dollar a month, $2, $3, whatever. And you will be helping me make the show more gooder, commission transcripts for older episodes, and give Garlic Knitter the work, to <laughs> work out of a lifetime as she uses her foot pedal to get through all those old episodes. And if you have subscribed or told a friend or left a review on whatever software you use to listen to podcasts, thank you so much. Um, as I mentioned last week, we have surpassed a million downloads, and that's largely because of you telling other people, hey, this show is really cool. So thank you for that. I am deeply honored. If you would like to send me an email, maybe you'd like to tell me about your favorite sticker book, because I know I'm not alone in this. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or if that's not going to stick in your memory, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at smartbitchestrashybooks.com also gets to the same place, which would be me and my inbox on my computer. Tell me all the things. Ask for a book recommendation. Tell me about a book you liked, or tell me about your favorite sticker. I can tell you all about my favorite stickers. I'll, actually, I'll tell you in person if you come see me at the RWA signing. I will have like five of my favorite stickers there. The ones that I designed for the site, mostly, because they're so great. But in the meantime, on behalf of Karen and Elise and myself and Orville, who is sleeping and not trying to get into the sound box, thank you, buddy. We hope you have a great weekend and the very best of reading. See you next week.
Well, the boys are going to tell you what to do. Listen to me.